He says, pray also for me that whenever I I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So there's this big call to pray for everything, but specifically for the saints and for the advancement of the gospel. So my question to you is, what are you praying for? Are you a shopping list Christian? You come to God with things that you want. I want to pray for my job, uh, pray for a new car, uh, pray for relationships. Um, and that's what some Christians do. They'll, keep, they'll pray uh, only for things, and they won't, uh, they won't thank God, they won't um, bring praise to God. Uh, and so, in, in, in so doing, they limit their prayer life. <clears throat> so are you praying for people in the church? Do you have a prayer list? Do you have, um, are, you, are you making sure that everyone in the church is covered by prayer? Um, I know there are people in this church who do take the time to pray for every single one of us, um, and God, uh, God answers those prayers, and God uh, holds us up because of that. Similarly with mission, are you praying for the mission that God is on? Are you praying for people that don't know Christ, your friends, your family, other people's friends, other people's family? There's a lot of people out there, and there's a big call that we need to be praying for God's mission. So the call here is very clear on what we should pray for. Paul says, do not limit your prayer. Second question that Paul addresses is the question of when. When should we pray? And the answer here is very simple, yet we find it so difficult, don't we? Paul says, on all occasions. Or the ESV is even more emphatic, saying, praying at all times. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, which I think is the second shortest verse in the whole Bible. It says, pray continually. Right? And the Bible, is, the Bible uh, has a lot of witness on this, that we should be praying all the time. But how do we do this? Most of us have a job, family, commitments. Um, our brain power is required for lots of these things, and we need to be focused and attentive to our jobs and our families and the things that we do. And so how are we supposed to be praying continually, um, as it says? I think one of the answers is that we need to have an attitude of prayer at all times. And it is our response to the things that come up in life that is really important in this case. So, for instance, if you're at work and something goes wrong then even if you don't have the time to sit down and pray about it, then the attitude is immediately thinking, God can help me with this. Um, I need God's help to overcome this problem. Or similarly, if you have a good conversation with someone um, about the gospel and you're really, uh, you're really happy about that, the natural response should be to thank God for that uh, and to pray for this person. Even if we don't, again, have the time to sit down and actually pray about it. If you're walking down the road and you see, you know, see some wonderful aspect of God's creation, again, we can give thanks, we can praise God for that, even if we don't have the time to stop and pray. And so this is this idea that we need to um, have an attitude of prayer at all times, even if we don't have uh, the physical uh, time to, to actually sit down and pray. And it comes down to a dependence, really, on God. Uh, so if we... Uh, 
if we need something from God, then we are dependent on him. If we, uh, if we receive something from God, then we are thankful to him. And of course, the Spirit may prompt you to pray and not just to uh, carry on your day. And in that case, you should stop and pray. But a lot of the time, this is, this is what happens during the day. We, uh, yeah, something happens in our day and, and it's our natural response in our mind to, uh, to thank God or to ask God for help. But on top of this, we also need to be praying regularly uh, in a devoted sense. And that means setting aside a certain amount of time every day, preferably at the same time each day, so that you can devote yourself to prayer, as it says in Colossians. And there's a very scriptural teaching for this, and there's a consistent witness that says that we should be praying continually every day um, and setting aside that special time. And so what we need to do is minimize distractions, and to sit it and to be alone or perhaps with your spouse and to have that time of prayer. And if we do that, then we will see God working in our lives. So the question here is, when do you pray? Do you only pray in the good times and not in the bad times, or only in the bad times and not in the good times? Do you forget about God for the whole day and only pray you know, in the morning or in the evening? Or do you not even have a regular time in the evening or the morning that you set aside to spend just with God? So the third question then is how should we pray? <clears throat> and I want to pick up on a, a small phrase in our text today. Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. He says, and always keep on praying for all the saints. <clears throat> Colossians 4.2 is very similar. It says, um, being watchful, we should pray. And if we look at what the word means in, in the original Greek, it, it sort of has this idea of awakeness, of being awake to what is going on around us, being alert. So how does this help? Why do we need to be alert I believe that the more that we are aware of what God is doing around us, the more alert we are to how he is working, then the more ammunition we will have for prayer, the more called we will be to prayer, the more we know about what is going on. And this happens on a number of levels. So firstly in the church. The church is the body of Christ. And so if we know the struggles of the people within the church, if we know what they're thankful for, if we know what they're going through, then we're going to have no shortage of things to pray for that will help us to know uh, what we can pray for. And also outside the church, if we know what's, what's going on with our friends, especially our non-Christian friends and our family and our city, uh, even in the country and the whole world, if, we, if we're up to date with what's going on, then we'll be able to pray along these lines. God is at work in this world and lots of things are happening. And the battle is raging. Satan is also at work. And so a lot of the things that we see in the news are about this battle. And so if we're alert and if we read the news and if we, if we follow what God is doing in this world, then we'll be in a much better position to pray. I know a few, um, a few pastors on their Facebook pages or blogs, they'll, they'll just give a little update, a, a list of news articles that have links to them, ones that are particularly uh, important or that might be particularly interesting for those who are Christians because they kind of deal with the whole battle that is raging out there. <clears throat> so that's my question to you. Are you alert? Are you alert to what is going on 
in your church? Are you alert to what is going on with your friends, uh, your brothers and sisters? What about in the wider world? Um, with missionaries you support, um, are you keeping up to date with them and uh, finding out what their needs are so that you may pray? And in the more wider sense of the whole world, are you, are you in tune with what is happening in the world and what God is doing? So how are we to pray? With watchfulness and awakeness. So on to the fourth question then, where should we pray? <clears throat> Does this even matter? Does it matter where we pray? In the Old Testament it would seem that it did matter. Of course Moses uh, in the desert of Sinai, he had the tent of meeting where he would go to meet God and there's that great verse where it says that Moses would speak to God like a man speaks to his friend. Um, and so this was the place that Moses went to speak with God. Further down the line we have the tabernacle. Of course the tabernacle was set up to contain the, the presence of God or at least a part of it. And so the priests would go to the tabernacle to be close to God and of course only the high priest could enter the most holy place because God's presence in there was too intense for any sin to be present. And then further on in the Old Testament we have the temple. And again this is the temple is place where God dwelled. And so we have this very definite idea of God being in a specific place and people going to that place to be close to God. So if you wanted to be close to God, you would go to the temple, to the tabernacle. So now how do we be close to God? Where should we pray? Do we need to go to Jerusalem? Do we, do we need to go to the Holy Land and pray at the Wailing Wall? Some people still believe that we do. Um, do we need to be in church to pray? Of course, what Paul says in here is pray in the Spirit. Is the Spirit a place? <clears throat> what Paul is saying here is that the, if we are praying in the Spirit, then we are in the presence of God. And that is enough. That is where God is, and that is how we may pray to him. And so anyone who is a believer and who prays in the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter where they are praying because they are already in that place of being in the Spirit and so therefore can pray to God. What does Jesus say to the Samaritan woman when she talks about the Jews and the Samaritans and where their respective places of worship are? He says, A time is coming and is now in fact here when the true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus is saying that location now is not important, but that if we, are being, if we are in the Spirit, then that is what counts. Does anyone know where Paul is writing this letter from? From prison. Right? I couldn't think of any, any worse place to be praying from in, in a physical sense. It's probably dirty, there's... Uh, a lot of non-Christians there, it's unholy, it's secular. Yet for Paul it doesn't even matter, because Paul is in the spirit and he can pray. Paul even goes so far as to say that he's an ambassador in chains. Does that sound strange to you? A bit like a travelling salesman who's in prison or <laughs> something like that, because an ambassador, by definition, is someone who goes out to spread the word, right? But Paul is in prison. But for him, it doesn't matter because he can be an ambassador for Christ in chains. 
So these are the first four questions that we've answered. What we should pray about? Paul says everything we should pray about. (coughs) When should we pray? Paul says at all times. How we should pray? With alertness and watchfulness. And where we should pray? In the spirit. I want to spend a bit more time on these last two questions, the questions of why and who. Because I believe that these questions, you know, we can, we can figure out where to pray and when to pray, and we can understand that and realize what God's will is for that. But these last two questions seem to trip us up just a little bit. So I want to spend a bit more time on these. So first is why should we pray? We know from earlier in Ephesians that God chose us from the beginning of time. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God knows the beginning from the end. We know that nothing comes to pass without God ordaining it. And we know that God is all-powerful so that his will will take place no matter what happens. So how do we fit prayer into this? Why should we pray if God already has things planned out? And I want to just say here that often our theology uh, ironically can trip us up at this point, or at least what we believe by extension from our theology. If we believe that God is sovereign, that he has planned our lives, then we sometimes tell ourselves that there's no need to pray because the determined outcome is what God is going to make it, and so that there's, there's no need to pray. And so we end up in this this funny place where we find it difficult to pray because we think, well, God's will is sovereign, God's will is going to take place. What do my prayers matter? But if we, just to unpack what theology is for a second, theology is an important framework for the truth that we find in the Bible. And we believe that theology is really important because theology helps us to understand who Jesus is, who God is, And what we should do. And so theology is really helpful. But at the end of the day, theology is not the source of truth. Theology is the truth that we have collected from the Bible and put in a framework. And so if we see something in the Bible that seems to contradict what we believe, we have to be very careful that our theology doesn't trip us up and doesn't stop us from seeing and fully believing these truths as they are in the Bible. So what do we have here? We have, on the one hand... God is sovereign, God ordains everything before it happens, God planned you from the beginning of time, we need to believe this. On the other hand, we also need to believe that for some reason, God responds to our prayers, and God seems to act when we pray, and we all know this is the case. I was just talking to Vinay yesterday about my upcoming sermon, and he asked how I was going, and I said, oh, I'm not actually feeling too nervous about it. You know, that's strange, because last time I was, I was a nervous wreck, you know. And, um, and he said, oh, well, I've been praying for you for that. Uh, and I thought, wow, you know, <laughs> God actually answers prayer. This stuff is real. Um, and this is what we see time after time. God answers prayer. Um, with Pastor and Auntie being in Auckland, we've prayed we prayed so much that uh, the operation would go well, that uh, they would be comforted by God and that God would use them um, even in the hospital. And, and God has answered these prayers um, in such amazing ways. James 4 verse 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. 
Seems pretty straightforward. We need to pray, otherwise God will not act. And we all know the story of Abraham as he pleads for the city of Sodom. God says, I will destroy this city because basically it is wicked. Its wickedness has come up before me. But Abraham pleads, he says, God, if there are 50 righteous people, will you spare this city? And to our surprise, God says, yes. If there are 50 people, yeah, well, I'll save it. And so Abraham begins this haggling, and he says, what about less? What about fewer? What if there's only, what if there's only five people or ten people left who are righteous in the city? And God says, okay, for the sake of these people, I will not destroy it. Of course, he couldn't find the righteous people, and the city was destroyed anyway. But what are we to make of this? Is God, is God bending his will to our prayer? Does God change his mind? It would seem to be the case, wouldn't it? <clears throat> I want to perhaps give a little bit of resolution to this question of why we should pray by way of an analogy. Uh, and that is that um, when we were travelling around Europe, when I was about 12 years old, uh, we had a little V-dub camper van, we drove all the way around Europe, and towards the end we uh, ended up in a place called Bayou, which is in northern France. And in Bayou there's this museum which holds what's called the Bayou Tapestry. And this tapestry is a magnificent piece of cloth which stretches 68 metres long and only 50 centimetres high. So it's, it's, it looks like a film strip or a comic strip stretching on for all that distance. And the tapestry tells a story. And the story is uh, in the early uh, 11th or 12th century when uh, France basically conquered England. So the story tells this, um, yeah, the story of how uh, the build-up to the battle, and it follows a few characters, and then it leads up to the big battle in Hastings in 1066. And so we have this magnificent tapestry that tells this whole story. And when you're at this museum, you start at one end of this big long hallway, and you walk along and you follow the story, and then it turns a corner and you carry on that way and follow the rest of the story. And you get, you get this whole sense of what's going on. And I think it's very similar with God's story, that... The story of history is like a big, long tapestry, obviously a lot longer than 68 metres, but a very long tapestry. And we are just a small part of this tapestry. We are characters in it, uh, and we can see only the present and the past. Whereas God sees the whole tapestry all at once in one big picture. And so God sees this whole tapestry, even though we see only the part of it. And my question is this, what is God's role in this tapestry? We can immediately say that God is the artist. God is the creator of this tapestry. So God created it. God is outside of time. God is outside of space, even. God created this tapestry, and he knew the beginning from the end. He knew all the characters in it. He knew what would happen. He created it at the beginning of time, and now we are in that tapestry as we are in time. But is this the only role that God has in the tapestry, is the next question, as a creator? If I were a Muslim, I would say, yes, that is the case. God is the creator, God is the author of the tapestry. But Muslims believe that we live in a what's called a closed system, so that we don't have any 
we don't have any say in what happens, right? We, history is playing out as a kind of a recording as we go along the tapestry. And God is in heaven. God is sovereign. God has already directed things. But God is not with us. God is not among us, is what Muslims believe. And so you get the sense that God is almost absent. God is, um, God is looking at the whole tapestry, but God is not within it. But as Christians, we believe that God does have another role in this tapestry, not just as its creator, as its artist, but also as a character within it. So God actually made the story of history with himself in this tapestry. And so God is a character in the tapestry. God responds to other characters in the tapestry. God is right there. And theologians would say that God is transcendent, which means that God is above all and outside of time, but God is also imminent, which means that God is in time. God is with us. God helps us. We can know God, um, and God responds um, to our prayers. And I believe that we must have this view if we're to make any sense of prayer. That history is not just being played out like some sort of recording, but that what we pray and what we do actually does matter and that God is looking for our response. And I think that prayer really is the most significant thing we can do as Christians. By calling on God, by asking for his help, uh, by thanking him, by praising him, we can grow closer to him. Our wills become more aligned with his will, uh, and God does answer our prayer. And so we mustn't let this... Uh, we mustn't let the idea that God is sovereign and that God has predetermined everything in our life, we mustn't let this stop us from praying, but rather to encourage us to pray all the more because we know that the victory is his and that he is winning for us. And so we need to be praying, uh, praying fervently uh, for that victory. So I want to finish off by... Asking the question, who? Some of you are wondering what I'm getting at here. Who do we pray to? You say, oh, that's easy. We pray to God. You know, God is creator. God, uh, God, is, God is sustainer of all. And it's this God that we must pray to. And if you're really onto it, you'd say that we pray to God through Christ because Christ is our mediator between us and God, and so we need to um, be saved and to pray th- through the Spirit to speak to God. But my question is here, what is our view of God? Who is, who is God to us? <clears throat> and I believe that this is a very important question because this will really transform our prayer life if we understand this. So far we've seen a lot of commands. We see pray all the time. Pray for everything. Be alert. Command, command, command. And a lot of us are probably feeling like this is a pretty tall order. We don't, we don't have it within us to actually be able to meet this call of the scriptures to pray. Um, and a lot of us would probably admit to feeling frustrated about prayer, that we wish we would pray more often, but we, we find it so difficult for some reason. And so I want to look at this question of who do we see God as? 
Who is God to us? And I want to take it from Paul himself earlier on in Ephesians. Paul prays, Ephesians 3 verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before who? The Father. And if you don't want to take it from Paul, you can take it from Christ himself when he teaches us to pray. He says, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven. And I believe that when we pray, this is who we need to see God as. God as a Father. Not just God as sovereign, not just God as ruling, but God also as a Father, which is quite a foreign idea to, uh, to other religions, really. And I want to say that this is, this is the heart of the gospel. This is, this is what God has done for us. So whilst we have all these commands to pray, whilst we, whilst we realize that we fall short of prayer, God is saying, my son was crucified on that cross and was risen so that you may be a son and a daughter of God. And so God adopts us into his family to be his children. And so what religious people would say is that, try harder. We need to try harder at prayer. We have commands. We're not meeting them. We need to pray harder. We need to, we need to, we need to come up with formulas to pray with. You know, we need to say certain things. We need to wear big hats. You know, we, need to, we need to do the right thing so that God will be moved to answer our prayer because religion really assumes that God is set up against us and that God uh, does not desire to give us things and we have to somehow manipulate God into answering our prayers. But the gospel is something completely different. The gospel says that we are now God's children. God actually loves us and God desires to give us good things. And so prayer then becomes much more free. Prayer becomes something that we want to do. If you've ever seen children with their father, you probably know what I mean. Um, if children want something, they usually feel free to ask their father, as long as their father is a loving and, um, and gracious father. You know, Dad, can I have an ice cream? Dad, can I have a hug? <laughs> Dad, can I have a piggyback ride? And so on and so on. Kids don't feel like their dad is against them and that their dad doesn't want to give them these things because they trust their dad. They, they know that their dad is a good person and that their dad wants to give them good things. And so this is, this is the same place that we find ourselves in, that we need to see God as our father and not as uh, our God who doesn't want to give us the things of our heart. And so I want to close by asking you this question. Who is your God? What do you believe about your God? Do you see God as your Father? Do you understand that God is for you? Romans 8 talks about this and says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I believe that the more that the gospel permeates our hearts, the more that we begin to see God as our Father, God as our loving Father, the more we will actually feel like praying, the more we will be inspired to pray, the more we will be encouraged to pray, and the more we will actually have the strength to pray every day, um, despite, 
at the moment the fact that we find it so difficult. And so we need to know that God is our Father and he can help us to pray. So, why don't I pray uh, as we close. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you have made a way. Lord, there are many commands and, Lord, we find it so difficult to, to meet these, Lord. We, we try them on our own strength. We, uh, we become religious and we, we think that the more we do, the more you will listen. But then the more we do, the harder it becomes. But, Lord, you have provided a way out of this, Lord. You sent your Son so that, Lord, we may be saved and that we may be made sons and daughters of you, Lord, after we have been enemies of you. And so, Lord, from this place of you being our Father, Lord, we want to, we want to ask you, Lord, um, please be gracious to us and merciful to us, Lord. Uh, please help us in our prayer life. Please inspire us to, to pray fervently, Lord. Um, Lord, there's a big battle raging out there, and Lord, we know that we have no hope of overcoming it without your help, Lord, and your strength. So, Lord, we ask for your help, for your grace in our lives. Uh, Lord, we ask you to make us, Lord, real prayers and real uh, people who are dependent on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.